No, it's not really a layoff story. We're just looking for volunteers to quit. So what does the move to electric vehicles have to do with any of this automaker worker reduction? We will share the bitter truth. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Business News Headlines. Thanks for being with us. Today, we'll also take a closer look at lithium-ion batteries and fire. Hey, what's the deal with U.S. retailers and Canada? We've got that story. We didn't know this, but it seems there is a potato shortage and what that means for French fries. We've got the Wall Street Report and the disappearance of executive assistants. For the interview, we're teeing up our friend Jessica Dunker from the newly minted Iowa Hotel and Lodging Association and some restaurant updates as well. But first, the news. Insight on business news and comment with Michael Libby is made possible through the support of Tarot International, the premier interpersonal skills, research, and corporate training company. Achieve, lead, and outclass with Tarot. T-E-R-O dot com. Focus and find a high-level, socially responsible search firm helping major corporations in their search for diverse talent. Focusandfind.com. Funding also comes from the National Tractor Parts Dealer Association, an international organization supporting the new and used agricultural and construction parts industry. Learn more at ntpda.com. Thank you, Hunter Pease, and welcome once again to this, the Thursday edition of the Business News Headlines. I'm your host, Michael Libby, grateful as always that you're along for the ride again today. By the way, you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at IOB underscore NewsHour. Well, General Motors said it would cut roughly $2 billion from its budget this year without resorting to laying workers off. And while that might be true, sort of, CNN is reporting that GM is looking for volunteers to quit. In a regulatory filing, the automaker said it was looking to save costs through attrition and a voluntary separation program in which eligible employees would get a lump sum payment and other severance based on how long they had worked at the company. The buyouts would cost the company $1.5 billion before taxes this year. The voluntary separation program will be offered to all U.S. salaried employees with at least five years of service and global executives that have been with the company for at least two years. GM has 167,000 employees globally, with 124,000 in North America. And that includes more than 42,000 members of the United Auto Workers Union. Meanwhile, the company recently reported a record annual profit for last year and has also announced plans to reduce costs by $2 billion over the next two years, including cutting corporate overhead costs across the board. All right, time for a little truth here. And that's what we've shared with you in the past. The reason automakers from GM to Ford are cutting or eliminating positions is because they don't need as many workers. It's true. Some time ago, we shared that story in an interview with industry expert Ken Chester, who laid out the facts for you and me. First of all, let's take engines. The typical internal combustion engines has over 400 parts that need to be assembled. The electric motors that power EVs have no more than 17 moving parts. Now let's look at the vehicle bodies. 
Each EV rests on a battery platform, which is the same for each car or truck produced. They will simply plop a different body on the platform, which, of course, takes less people. But the real issue is robotics. With such simple and uncomplicated design, robots can replace the automaker's workers. So, no, the future of vehicle production will take fewer bodies and more technology. In a somewhat related story, regulators are once again taking a hard look at lithium-ion batteries. CNN is reporting that at least seven people have been injured in a five-alarm fire in the Bronx, which required the attention of 200 firefighters. Officials believe the incident stemmed from a lithium-ion battery of a scooter found on the roof of an apartment building. Last year, the New York City Fire Department responded to more than 200 e-scooter and e-bike fires, which resulted in six fatalities. Incidences of batteries exploding are popping up all over. E-scooters catching fire in California and a Canadian homeowner who this past week watched his e-bike explode into flames. These incidences are becoming more common for a number of reasons. For starters, lithium-ion batteries are now in numerous consumer tech products, powering laptops, cameras, smartphones, and more. They allow companies to squeeze hours of battery life into increasingly slim devices. But a combination of manufacturer issues, misuse, and aging batteries can heighten the risk from the batteries which use flammable materials bursting into flames. Now, in response to all this, Steve Kerber from the Underwriters Laboratories Fire Safety Department said that lithium batteries are generally safe and unlikely to fail, but only so long as there are no defects and the batteries are not damaged or mistreated. He added that the more batteries that are around us, the more incidents may happen. Well, we guess that's comforting until it does happen to you, right? So what do you do? Well, the response is only purchase items that have a UL safety check and only buy from reputable sellers. U.S.-based retailers have a problem north of the border. Canadians, it seems, have no time for them. The Street is reporting that the latest to fall is Nordstrom. The high-end retailer has announced that it will close all 13 of its Canadian stores because they are simply not profitable. Nordstrom's has been in Canada since 2014. But at least they lasted longer than Target. The Minneapolis-based retailer pulled out of Canada after only two years on the ground and racking up $2 billion in losses. And while Best Buy is still there, the company recently said it was cutting 700 employees in its Canadian stores. So what is the deal? Why can't U.S. companies make a go of it in Canada? Well, experts point to three issues. First, is the sheer size of Canada and the fact that about 90% of the population live within 100 miles of the United States. With such density, real estate for warehouses, distribution centers, and stores is relatively scarce, and that makes for a challenging supply chain system. Second is the very diverse population. Now, while British Columbia is very, well, British, Quebec is quite French, and they are sticking to it. Retailers there must respect the entire French culture. And third, there are lots of hometown competition 
in Canada. Americans might not be familiar with Canadian Tire, Hudson's Bay, Simons, Holt Renfrew, and Loblaw, but these Canadian retailers run formidable businesses there, and Canadians are very loyal to their local brands. Now, one other bonus reason. Americans tend to think that we are all that and more. Canadians, by the way, are not attracted to such hubris. So there you have it. I learned something last week while watching an episode of Somebody Feed Phil, starring the wonderful Phil Rosenthal. It seems that in England, you must not refer to French fries as French fries. It is culturally inappropriate. They are called chips. Chips, even though they look like French fries. I mentioned that to get into this story about a shortage of potatoes. I mean, who knew, right? And what McDonald's has done to overcome the problem. And interestingly, the company has added vegetable fries to its menu in (laughs) France. Here's the hype from France. Quote, discover for a limited time the delicious French vegetable fries, a mix of beets, parsnips, and carrots for a delicious, crispy, and colorful trio of fries, also available in large portions, end quote. And the hype continues with this, quote, Besides a different flavor, the new trio offers an attractive appearance with a combination of orange, red, and yellow, end quote. There you go. French vegetable fries in France. See what you learn here? U.S. stock markets took a beating today with the Dow cratering by 543 points to end the day at 32,254. The Nasdaq fell by 237 points to finish the day at 11,338. And the S&P 500 tanked by 73 points to close at 39.18. So what happened? First of all, weekly jobless claims rose more than projected, and investors are waiting for the non-farm payrolls report due out tomorrow, which is Friday. Meanwhile, weekly jobless claims for benefits in the U.S. rose above the 200,000 level for the first time since early January, jumping up by 21,000 to 211,000 in the week that ended March 4. The consensus was for an increase to 195,000, so surprise. Also, the U.S. two-year yield declined 18.3 basis points to 4.88%, and the 10-year rate fell 5.9 basis points to 3.92%. Meanwhile, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil dropped by 1.5% to $75.54 a barrel. And finally, there is this, and this has to do with the vanishing executive assistant. Now, full disclosure, when I was the president of a healthcare company, I relied heavily on my executive assistant. Denise kept me in line and on time. She knew what I knew, and we paid her very well. But that was then. Today, it's about the vanishing folks just like her. The Wall Street Journal is reporting that as rank-and-file workers bemoan their vanishing perks, Higher-ups have woes of their own. Longtime leaders are nostalgic for the era of executive assistants who, by the way, I'm told they dislike that title. Technology, automation, cost-cutting, and younger tech-savvy workers who don't know what they're missing have all chipped away at the profession. Even the consulting giant McKinsey & Company, which often advised clients to shed support staff, is reportedly making cuts to its own robust roster of 
administrative employees. The number of executive secretaries and executive administrative assistants dropped 63% between 2000 and 2001, with a further decrease of 20% expected by 2031. And I will echo that of those who know. Folks that are missing out on this have really no idea what they are missing. All right, click ahead for a look at the hospitality industry with our friend Jessica Dunker. She is the president and CEO of both the newly created Iowa Hotel and Lodging Association and the Iowa Restaurant Association. We will be taking a deep dive into workforce, challenges, and more. Good stuff is just a click away. <laughs>